Father, as we go into your word and we look today, I pray that, that, Father, you would guide my words and our ears and our hearts to be a church that looks like the true body of, of Jesus Christ. Wounded but victorious. Humble, loving, yet strong. I pray that your words would encourage us in that path this morning, Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. So, I try about once a year to kind of come back and touch bases on uh, what it means to be the church. You know, when I first showed up at Heritage, my first sermon series was Being the Church. Um, Because too often we always say church is a place we go. Um. Church is not a place we go. Church is what we are. It's who we are. Too often, especially in our culture, in American culture, individualism is king, right? I mean, have it your way. Have you noticed in advertising over and over, you deserve, right? And then they sell you something. Because that's our culture. But you cannot get away from, the more you read the Scripture, the more you look at it, the more you realize it's not you, it's us. God has chosen the church as His instrument. We collectively are the body of Christ. You are not the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Because if you were the body of Christ, then, then the body of Christ would only have a toenail. Uh If I was just the body of Christ, it would only have the dirt under the toenail. Yeah, exactly. God has made all of us to be the body of Christ. That means that we are the physical manifestation to the world of the heart of God. And that's extremely important. Here in the United States, we have way too low a picture of what the church is. That's why you have what I can call consumer Christianity. People who go from church to church to church to church going, what am I going to get out of it? How are they going to serve me? I think it was Francis Chan who was challenged in the lobby and said, Pastor, I really didn't get much out of today's sermon and worship and everything. And uh, his reply was, that's okay, because we weren't worshiping you. (laughs) It seems funny, but I'm going to be honest with you, it actually isn't. Because so many people will come through those doors and they will sit down and they're automatically grading they're, they're, they've got their checklist and did you get an A in the music or B in the music did things go smoothly or did we have to wait what was the AC like today or the heat or, and, they're, and they're just they're giving everything a grade because it's all about them
And it's all about us giving glory and honor to Him. He's the center. And our job is to reflect Him for His glory. And we reflect Him as the body of Christ. And as we do that, something should happen when somebody walks through those doors. This morning in Sunday school, my heart was just welling up. Because I saw a bunch of people that used to sit around and share drugs talking about deep things of Christ. I mean, think about this. This morning, in, instead, of get, instead of sitting and sharing drugs, you guys shared the continual presence of Jesus Christ. You talked about things like, does God hear the prayers of unbelievers? You talked about what does it mean to be the temple of Christ? These are deep subjects that there are people that have been sitting in church for years that they've never covered. It is a blessing. Because here's, and it's crazy, Eric, every single song had freedom, broken chains, victory. God did it again. What I loved about this morning is having prepared this sermon is I was looking at men and women who were unbound. Who had been owned by the enemy. Who had been tormented and taken advantage of and destroyed by the enemy. And I saw you walking and living in freedom this morning and in the power of Jesus Christ, His Gospel through the Holy Spirit. Now tell me, that's not a good reason to be here this morning. We have to remember why we do what we do. You know, there's a story, and I'm, if you've been here a while, you've heard this one, but it's a good one, so I'm going to tell it again anyways. One of our leadership classes, uh, when I was in the Navy, had this when they were talking about kind of knowing why you do what you do. Um, and, you know, there was a destroyer that was pulling into Hawaii, into Pearl Harbor, after a long deployment. They were short on people. And when you pull into port, you have to, you have to put people for security on the pier and, and at the brow of the ship for where people come on and off and things. So you have all these, what we call them, watches, where people would go out for four or five, six hours at a time, and they'll, they'll stand guard or do this or do that. And they had, and this destroyer didn't have the people to, to put enough out there, so they wrote back to the destroyer squadron at, before they got back and said, hey, can we not set this watch on the pier? And the destroyer squadron said, well, let's go see why do we have that watch set. And this watch has been, you got to understand, this watch has been going on for seven years. And they went out and they started trying to figure out what it was, and, and what they discovered was this. They had set this watch on the pier to make sure that nobody sat on this bench. And they had had this watch for seven years. And as the destroyer squadron started asking around and figuring it out, what they found was that seven years ago they had painted that bench and they set a watch there to make sure nobody sat on it in their uniforms while the paint was wet. Wow. And for seven years they sat 
with somebody watching that bench, making sure nobody sat on it. At least the paint was still good. (laughs) You know, in church, we can do the same thing. Sometimes we can forget what we're really supposed to be doing and what it's about and we get completely off, off, off tilt. And sometimes it costs more. World War II, the British were training for, for war, to battle the Germans. But as they trained, in order to save money, they didn't actually fire their rounds and, and things like that. So they would just practice to see how fast they could get a gun loaded, get a firing solution, and get ready to fire. And then they check the accuracy of the firing solution and all that. And so it, it, guys are competitive. You know, captains want to be promoted to admiral and things like that. So they want to be faster and better than anyone else. So they pushed their crews and the crews started doing some things. They started, so they started doing things like this. They figured, you know what? If down at the very bottom of the ship is where they'd have all the shells and the gunpowder and all that, and they'd put it in a tube and it would get locked into the gun and then fire. So down there in that, in that bottom part of, the, of that tube... They started, said, hey, let's leave the doors open to where the shells are and to where the gunpowder is because then we can move shells and gunpowder out faster and load faster and get our firing solution. They forgot what they were doing. They were training to actually go into combat and instead they, were tra- they started training to see how fast they could target. And they couldn't understand why in the first part of the war the British Navy lost several battleships that all sank within seconds. These are ships that should be able to take torpedoes and bombs and keep floating. But they were, they were getting hit and they were exploding and they were going down literally in seconds, costing thousands of people their lives. And you know what they found? That all that had to happen was to take a hit near the turret and the flames from the explosion would go down that tube and those doors were open because they, they had trained to load the guns with those doors open and the flames reached the gunpowder and the shells and it was blowing the ships in half. Sometimes when we forget what we're doing as the church, it costs more than you can imagine. painfully in our personal life what we have found is you know we margie and i parented our kids early on in the early years thinking if they got any exposure to the world that it would be their undoing in their faith you know where the undoing of their faith came from from the church from christians from people not walking in grace and mercy and compassion, but rather living like the world in the church, or worse. It is so very important we do what we do on purpose and that we get things right. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 13, and we're going we're gonna to look... We're going to look at some people who had forgotten what they were here for and what their purpose was. And we're going to see Jesus' response and Jesus' heart in all of that.
So Luke chapter 13, and I'm going to begin in verse 10. Let's set this, the scene a little bit. We've been talking about, you know, the last, last week we talked about Jesus was, was talking to the, to the crowd who said, um, hey, did you hear about these people who were killed uh, with a tower fell on them? And he's like, you guys think you're, you know, and they, remember their thought was that tower falling them was God's judgment on their sin. And he talked about people being, being killed by Pilate while they were offering their sacrifices. And they said, well, and their thought was, well, it was their sin that caused that to happen. And Jesus said, you think you're any more righteous than they are? But I, just tell, I tell you the truth, if you don't repent, you too will perish. So it's good to see that because it informs today's story as, you, as we look and goes, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. For 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. You are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. This woman, a child of Abraham, had lived under the power of a disabling spirit, under, under a crippling spirit from Satan for 18 years. And Jesus' response to her when he walked into the synagogue was, come here and let me set you free. Now, I want you to think about this to the synagogue, to the people in the synagogue, based on what we've just talked about. Her bent over stoopness for 18 years was a sign of what to them? Sin. She was being punished for some great sin. That's what they felt. We must be careful to not be self-righteous. You know, I hear all the time this when people talk, start talking about what they want church to be like and how they want people to dress and what they want this to be like and that to be like and whatnot, and they go, God wants our best. No, He doesn't. Your best is filthy rags. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants your love. You know what His, his love it says your love for God is obedience to his commands. Why? Because when you obey, it's because you trust him. You trust him. I mean, let's, th- let's look at it this way. If you saw a kid, any of you guys have nieces or nephews or sons and daughters? And now, if your niece or nephew or son or daughter sat there and every day to their parents, their parent was, parents would go, hey, make your bed. And they tell them to go someplace. Every day they say, no, I'm not going to do it. And not only am I going to do it, you don't have the right to tell me. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, though. 
would you say that they love their, their, their father or their mother? Yeah, if it happens every day for their whole life, every time their parents tell them to do something, they get, they get up in their face and angry and, and basically say, take a hike. Do they love them? No. Yet we think that we can hear God's word and we can tell him to go take a hike because I'm not going to do that. And we say, but I love God. No, you don't. But by the same token, is it love for a kid to grit their teeth and go do what you tell them to do? Does a parent feel loved when they say, go clean your room? <laughs> and they, does, that, does that convey love? No. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about discipline later on this year in small group. <laughs> and when we get into relationships, that's not love either. But when they obey because they respect you and they trust you and they want to please you, is that love? Joyful obedience. Exactly. Because that's the overflow of their heart for you. When we read God's commands and we obey His commands, we do it from a place of love and trust. Not from grudging obedience. That's what it means to give God our best. And it's so important because when somebody walks through that door, they need to see Christ. When a drug addict walks through that door, they can't feel like we're here judging them. They've got to see us as the body who says, come here. Let us love you and hey, here's, let us tell you something that's going to unbind you. When someone walks through that door who's mentally ill and has been beaten up by evil spirits their entire life, maybe their family was into the occultic and they've literally been beaten up by spirits they need to see the power and the love of jesus christ that unbinds them and sets them free that's your best that's the best that he wants from you we have brothers and sisters in china that right now there are places where the leaders of the church have to go find caves to meet in i've got pictures from a couple of years ago of a gathering of of chinese church pastors who had a who met in a cave so they wouldn't be found, and there was one little light bulb hanging from the ceiling that they had figured out how to get power to from a generator, and that's all they had. And do you think God was glorified? Oh, they didn't need pews and carpet? Smoke machine? They didn't need, they didn't need subwoofers? <laughs> Trinity band, piano? They may have had a guitar that was maybe the capo was on wrong, but they, they managed to, <laughs> to worship. There are people that are meeting under trees, and that's their church. So this building 
isn't our best. There are beautiful churches out there this morning. Beautiful churches out there this morning that if a young lady walked in and she was pregnant outside of wedlock, people would stare at her until she felt judged and walked out. Beautiful building. Clean. Everybody well-dressed. Following all the rules. Pharisees. What would Jesus' response be to that? What would Jesus' response be to you and I if we aren't obedient to what the Scripture says and we don't give our best in obedience? Let's see. So if we keep on reading, I'm going to jump here, whoever's working the, the slides, I'm going jump to jump down one and I'm going to come back. In Luke 13, 14, it continues, But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, Now I want you to catch this. He's indignant with Jesus. You know, and, and he's really a very courageous, brave, bold person. Because instead he turn, of talking straight to Jesus, he turns to, the, he turns to the people and says, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. So, number one, the guy's a coward. He didn't turn to Jesus and go, why are you healing on the Sabbath? He turns, he turns to the people whom he has authority over and he says, you guys need, don't need to come to him. Now, you have to understand, here's the way that culture was at that time. The Sabbath had ceased to be a blessing and it had become a burden. The number of rules they had on how to observe the Sabbath were nuts. So, like, if you, if you went to water your ox, there were some knots that you could tie and some to, so he didn't wander off and some that you couldn't. And they called one work and one not work. You could only go so far, you could go like 200 cubics, 2,000 cubics rather, to put them out to pasture. There are all these little rules. And this is just on what you do with your livestock. You start thinking about, well, what can you pick up? What can you not pick up? What can you open? What can you not open? These were all rules that they had. Jesus at one point told, told the Pharisees, that, uh, or the scribes rather, He said, you put such a burden on the people, they can't go into the Lord, and then you yourselves don't go. This is the culture in which this is happening. And look at this guy's attitude. This woman has just been set free. She's been walking around like this for 18 years. A Jewish woman, a part of his town, his neighbor. And Jesus heals her and she stands up straight and she's free. And the only thing he can think of, you know, you broke one of our little rules. There are churches like that. Instead of looking and seeing the freedom that is coming in Jesus Christ, they get wrapped up in the little rules 
and they think they're giving God their best. God wants to see people set free, get unbound. Now listen, let's flip this for just a second. If you have a brother or sister who sees something that you do as sinful, that it's wrong, that they say the Scripture says, and you think you have freedom in that, Scripture is very clear. You don't tempt them into sin. You don't make yourself more important than them. And so you follow what they feel is right for Scripture, even if you know that it's free, because you don't want to lead them to sin. In other words, we live for each other. The whole mask thing is a perfect example. You know, people, some people mask, some people don't. So, and and, and I got, you got brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to each other and calling each other names because one wears a mask and one doesn't, and so on and so forth. Stop it. Just stop it. If you walk up to somebody and they're wearing a mask, put a mask on. Respect them. Love them. If you walk to somebody and they're not wearing a mask, unless, you're, unless you've got a reason to be wearing the mask for your own health, take it off. Think of them. Just, just do what they need to do. Stop thinking about yourself. Have grace. If you can't come to that place, if your reason for not masking or masking is so strong that you can't change that, then just go and talk to the person in grace and, and just ignore that they're, either, that they're doing the opposite of you. We're the church. We love and have grace through all of this. Listen, you know why the Western world, what, what moved Constantine? It was his mom. You know what moved Constantine's mom? When everybody else fled from a plague, Christians stayed and took care of the dying at the cost of their own lives. Sometimes we might get sick and die. But God in His goodness will use it for His glory. Have faith. But at the same time, if, they say, if the government says wear a mask, there's nothing in Scripture that says masks are sinful. Disobeying the government can be. Right? Our best is to live in the power and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes it gets messy and complicated and we don't know how to walk through it. But if you'll always revert back to grace and humility, you'll at least get close. The second you get prideful, the second you start demanding your way, and you don't have a strong scriptural basis for being His way, you're in dangerous waters. The Pharisees were or Pharisees, this is a synagogue ruler, he was in dangerous waters. He, had, he was holding Jesus and this poor woman to a set of rules that were, they came from what's called the Mishnah. It was the oral tradition of the Pharisees. It was, it was God put a fence up. He wanted you to have a day of rest and time to be with him and to honor him and to experience him and to worship him. And they had said, turned it into a day of rule following 
And if God said this, well, we're going to build fences over here and then over here and then over here and over here. And every year they added more to the list. And they couldn't even agree among themselves on these things. They had arguments all the time. If you read the Qumran uh, papers, which is a, a, a organization outside of uh, the normal Jewish culture that they isolated themselves and said they were now the true Israelites and, every, and even the temple and everything was, their rules were even greater. And here's the thing, both of them said this about this woman. In the Old Testament, it talks about the fact that no priests could come and offer sacrifices if they were disabled because they needed to be, they had need to be a reflection of the, of the very offering that was being made. All, all being about a precursor to the fact Jesus Christ was coming. But these guys had taken that to say, not only is it about the priests, but, and they took one phrase from David, and, and it's out of context in the wrong direction, and they said, anybody who's disabled can't come into the temple. So if you think about all these things that Jesus healed, almost all of them were about letting people come back into the temple to bring their offerings and to ex- experience the worship of God at, in Jerusalem. Are we, the church, a place where someone can be healed and experience the worship of God? Are we, as a church, a place where people can come in chains and bound in misery and under the attack of the enemy and find healing or are we so wrapped up in our little rules and I think we are the former but I want us to be there on purpose and I want us to stay there this needs to be a place where the bound feel like they're loved and they can be unbound by the truth As a matter of fact, if you flip over to Matthew chapter 12. Jesus, I'm, you can read this. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase. Jesus is, is walking through the grain fields with his disciples. And as they're walking, they're taking these grains, the, the heads of the grain, and they're rubbing them together, and they're eating because they're hungry. It's the Sabbath. There are even rules about how much, how, how much grain how many, you can rub and get off of a, gra- a, a head of uh, grain and eat. And they even had disagreements about that. Some said you could do none. Some said you could do this much. Some said you could, as long as it was, you didn't walk this far when you did it. It's nuts. So, so the Pharisees challenged Jesus and said, you guys are breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus says, basically, and, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, this is my Sabbath. I'm the one who established it. And now you're telling me that 
And think about this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God and the Word was with God. Jesus was the one who established the Sabbath. And they're telling Jesus, you're messing it up. We don't do that, do we? We might. Got to watch it. But here Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Quoting from Deuteronomy. Jesus wants us to have a heart of mercy, not one of religion. Then over in Matthew 9, this is uh, one familiar to many of you. Jesus was having dinner with Matthew at his house with the, all the um, tax collectors and who the Pharisees would call tax collectors and sinners. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Reclining means they were having a party. They were enjoying dinner together. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, this is the, don't, you know, I, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't, I don't drink, and I don't go with girls who do. You heard that saying? This is the, why are you associating with sinful people? Never happens in any churches, does it? Yeah, it does. Every single Sunday. This is Jesus' response. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And what it, the real point of this is this. I'm here for these guys because they know they're sinners. The problem with the Pharisees was they needed to go to the doctor just as much, but they just didn't realize it. They, they had that form of cancer that you don't know you have till it's almost too late. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Our best is to show the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ to people. That doesn't mean that we approve of sin. I'm not going to ever say that homosexuality is okay. Because God doesn't say that it's okay. But you know what? I'm more than willing to love someone who struggles with that so that they can be unbound by the very same thing that has allowed me to be unbound from the things God has God has unbound me from through the same power in the same way. Going back to Luke, we see the Lord's answer to to this ruler. And he says, the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you... Now, let's, let's get this setting right. The, the ruler of the synagogue is the one standing up, but the way it would be arranged is there would be a, a, a row of seats around the front where the elders of the, of the village, they would all be sitting, and they would be kind of in their place of honor, and they would be sitting there, and he'd be going, you, you know, when he chastises Jesus by talking to his people instead of directly to Jesus, they'd all be sitting there going, mm-hmm, uh-huh, yeah, you tell him. 
So that's why it's really important you see the plural here, because Jesus is addressing all of them. You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this one... So they came up with rules that allowed them to take care of their cattle on that day. Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Here's my question. Each Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday Friday and Saturday that we are the church. We don't come to church. We are the church. Today we're the church gathered. In just a few minutes we'll be the church scattered. But we're still the church. Will you have the heart of Jesus as you go through your life this week? Will you have the heart of Jesus when we come together next week that your desire is to see people unbound from a lifetime of oppression by the enemy? Or will you be shamed? Because I promise you, if you live in self-righteousness, it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before your facade cracks and people see who you are underneath. I don't know about Matt, but that's one of the reasons I really hate the pedestal. Right? The, the higher a pedestal you put somebody on, the harder and more it hurts when you fall. Just keep me on the ground. I'm just like you. Church, I think it's one of our strengths as a church. I really do. Every church has, has things that they do really well. God arranges the body of Christ, not just within here, but also in our city and in our state and in around the world. He arranges the body of the Christ as He sees fit. But where we are, as we are, I think our strength is what we covered this morning. That when people come in this building, you love them. And you bring the gospel to them and you bring good news to them. My encouragement to you this morning is, don't stop. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't start thinking religiously. Keep living in that grace and that compassion and that mercy. Stay right where you are in that. When one of us falls into sin, don't give up on them. Go chase them down. Go chase them down. Whatever it takes to un get them unbound. Be that hand, that foot, that arm, that ear of Christ.
whatever it takes. Love you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Just do it more. Monday, let's try it Monday through Saturday, right? Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, help us always remember why we do what we do. Remind us, Jesus, continually of your ministry and what you did and how you did it and why you did it so that we can mimic you and, and, and follow you and be like you, Lord. So that through the power of your Holy Spirit in us and through us, Lord, the world can experience your heart. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious name.